who's wanted to have your own podcast, but you just didn't know where to start. I know that it used to be me until I uh, was told about Anchor.fm. Anchor FM is one of the best podcasting platforms out there because it's free. They help you with distribution, getting onto all the various podcasting platforms. They have tools for editing and for creating all the podcasts. Uh, and they even have monetization tools. It's a really, really great app and website. I highly recommend it. If you want to get your own podcast going, go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I can't recommend them highly enough. So download that free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm so you can get started making your own podcast. Your brokenness is at play in how you do ministry. We all like to think I, I react out of faith and logic, but uh, no, we all react out of our brokenness to some degree. And mm. ministry will beat your brokenness like a drum if you're not aware of it. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. There is a sad reality in our culture. We see high-profile leaders fall into scandal and moral failures all too often. Unfortunately, this kind of news is not exclusive to the world outside of the church. Pastors and other Christian leaders are frequently in the headlines as the new subject in an ongoing thread of compromised integrities and broken ministries. My guest on today's show has written a book to try to help leaders from ending up in that storyline. His name is Michael McKenzie, and his book is titled, Don't Blow Up Your Ministry, Diffuse the Underlying Issues That Take Pastors Down. Whether you are a ministry leader or you're someone who cares about a ministry leader in your life, what Michael has to say is important for all of us. Michael McKenzie is a licensed professional counselor, ordained pastor, and hospital chaplain. He has served for 10 years as the clinical director of Marble Retreat, a Colorado retreat center that specializes in ministering to pastors and ministry leaders in crisis. He studied marriage counseling, uh, marriage and family counseling at Denver Seminary and has a demon in pastor care from Lincoln Christian University. Michael and his wife, Carrie, have two sons and live in Florida. Before we dive into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to our email list so that you can get all of the latest content from this show and uh, whatever I write directly into your inbox. Just visit the link to the show notes that's in the description of this video or podcast that you're listening to below, and then you can go to my website and sign up for the newsletter there. Also, be sure that you are subscribed to Filter wherever you get your podcasts so that you, you can get all future episodes directly on the homepage of your podcast app. If you're helped by this content, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review or share the show with your friends. Taking these simple steps really helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this conversation that I got to have with Michael McKenzie. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Aaron. Thank you very much. Well, glad you're here. We are on the show today to talk about your new book with IVP called Don't Blow Up Your Ministry. So start just by telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you to writing this book. Yeah, you know, a little bit about myself is uh, I'm a, a counselor, came to the U.S. I grew up in Canada, came to the U.S. in 93 to get my master's in counseling and 
after a few years of working as a hospice chaplain, I kind of got into the area of working with Christian leaders and um, then met my wife and she also had a desire to, to counsel in that area. And so we began a, a journey in that. So for the last 20 years, we have specialized in counseling Christian leaders, mostly through an intensive format, meaning a retreat type setting where you do a lot of hours of counseling over five days, eight days. Um, worked for a time at a place called Blessing Ranch. It was in North, Northern Colorado. Now it's in, in Florida. Um, and then we got connected with Marble Retreat where we've been for the last oh, about 15 years altogether. And we were the therapists there for years, just transitioned into executive director role. And being in a counseling room with a lot of pastors, Christian leaders, um, a lot of them come to do an intensive counseling format because something has just hit the fan. And um, now they're looking at the mess that they have on their hands, either blew up their ministry, blew up their marriage, blew up both at the same time. And their question that they walk in the door with is always the same. Why? Why, why would I do this? Why would I take what I love doing, what I kind of have called to, to ministry and just wreck the whole thing. And mm. so part of our, you know, counseling has been to help them, you know, find healing and grace, redemption, renewal, all those things. But it was, it's always, you know, there is a lot of grief for us as well as for them as they look back and there was signs along the way that they were in trouble. So this book came out of kind of a desire as a kind of a warning, you know, message as well as a message of hope. That, hey, you know, here, here's some things that you could be doing that are you're heading towards a cliff, but please don't go over the cliff. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for the church. Um, you know, so that's kind of how the book came about. I know that my background of working with Christian leaders. Yeah. Why do you think this book is necessary right now? What, what other than your background, what is it uh, in our culture or life today that you saw as, uh, as being necessary to write this book in this moment? Yeah, there's different ways you could say it. You know, I think with with as we're all very well aware of and have talked a lot about there, you know, the pressures have really ramped up in the last couple of years since COVID, since the political polarization in our country, um, it being a more difficult place in some ways to be in ministry um, with a changing culture. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of pastors, if, uh, if I'm focused on pastors, you know, exclusively have, have lived without much margin in their life. And then this extra stress, pressure, conflict that they're now facing in their churches and their communities has pushed them over the edge. So, you know, we're getting more phone calls than ever at Marble Retreat for help and, and pastors calling saying, you know, I, I picked up the phone just oh, a few months ago. And the pastor started out with, if you don't help me, I won't be here in a year. And what he meant was, I'm, I'm considering suicide. I am so depleted, so exhausted, so frustrated with ministry and ministering that I'm just, I'm, I'm maxed out. I'm over the edge. And we just see that desperation, you know, increasing because it's just become a more difficult world in, in so many ways. And so pastors were already maxed out. And then you add in these extra stressors of the last couple of years, and it's just pushed a lot of them over the edge into desperation. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, and I think you already answered this, but just to reiterate it, what you're saying is that it's not necessarily some new pressures uh, as much as it is the recent events of the last two years, or if you want to go back four or five years, have really just been a catalyst to increase the pressure. So it seems as though there was already some issues 
in, uh, in, in ministries or pastors, or just in the way that we view church and ministry culture here in America, which I think that's a whole nother conversation, mm-hmm. uh, that then were really brought to the service in the past couple of years. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You know, there's nothing new under the sun and ministering in a fallen world has always been challenging and difficult. If we look at church history, if we look at, you know, the New Testament, if we look at recent history, you know, it's, it's always been difficult. You know, I think that things have just ramped up a little bit and, and a lot of us were not maybe you could say prepared. There's no way to prepare in a sense for these increased pressures. Um, you know, for an example, a lot of pastors have been pushed into making what, what you may call healthcare decisions, mask, no mask, you know, do you back the vaccine or not, when they're trained doctrinally, they're trained theologically, and yet they're being looked to to make some decisions and into areas that they're uncomfortable with, and they're very difficult decisions, because you're probably going to tick off half the people in your congregation, no matter what decision you make. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we work with a lot of pastors now in the last couple of years have been pushed to make decisions in areas that they typically avoided needing to make decisions in, you know. And so, so things like that have just ramped up the pressure. There's always been pressure, but it definitely has gotten cranked up a notch. Yeah. I know that in our audience, we do have a lot of people who are involved in ministry in one sense or another, whether it's church ministry or another type of nonprofit or uh, Christian ministry. But we also have a lot of people who aren't involved in ministry, but they're Christians uh, working in business, they're in school or whatever else. Can you help us to explain for this mixed audience of of church leaders, but then also people who are not uh, in, in the church or ministry world? What makes the role of pastor unique for blow up or burnout, however you want to put it? What are, what, what are some of the unique pressures of a ministry leader role versus other types of leaders in different areas? Yeah, there's some different factors in that. You know, I like to, to kind of um, conceptualize it or picture it in this way that pastors struggle with a lot of the same issues, any of us. They're human. There's performance pressures, but most of us have that no matter what job you pick, you got to perform and you can all, we can all err towards finding our identity and worth in that. What's unique to the pastor is the context in which they are struggling, I think. And so what I mean by that is that a pastor, you know, may have a struggle, but it's hard for them to go talk to somebody about it because of how it may change how they're viewed. A pastor may have a struggle, but it can be easily interpreted as a a lack of faith, whether it's by themselves or or by others. So they they have a unique context in a lot of ways, whereas if you are in a lot of professions and you're a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, a bus driver, and you're struggling emotionally, people don't always equate that to your performance as a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer in the ministry, they do often get equated, meaning how well are you doing personally, emotionally, relationally gets directly connected to how well you're performing. And so then a lot of pastors get trapped. They feel trapped that if, you know, they all walk this line of, you know, everybody wants their pastor, especially if they're a preaching pastor to be authentic, but they all know that I walk a certain line there. If I get too authentic, my job is at risk, meaning There'll be enough people get offended or disappointed or can't 
trust my leadership or whatever take it may be. So pastors live in this context where it's very difficult to truly be vulnerable. Now we can all struggle with that. You know, we can all, no matter what career we're in, but, but typically in other careers, there's a lot more safety to get real or to go for counseling or to begin sharing your struggles. And, and you're not immediately wondering, well, I still have a job. Will this person tell somebody and they'll somehow reflect poorly on me and my leadership, that kind of yeah. stuff. So, so I, I see some of their struggles are similar, yet the context in which they have those struggles can be very different from a lot of other professions. Yeah. And w- what about expectations too? Do you think that the expectations in ministry lead to some different pressures than what you might face in other jobs or roles? Yeah, I mentioned this in the book and just this little point that I make that if you're a surgeon, you're expected to be good at surgery, you know, and and most of us have ruled out even caring about bedside manner anymore. We're just like, hey, if you're a good surgeon, I don't care if you're a jerk, you know, just get the job done. You know, but when you're when you're a pastor, you're often expected to be good at a lot of things from preaching. If you're the preaching pastor to leading staff, to doing a building campaign, to raising funds, to discipleship, to evangelism, to you name it, to doing a funeral, to being good at the bedside of sick ones. Uh, you, you know, it's just, there's so many um, expectations. And, and like I jokingly said in my book, they'd even be expected to be good at surgery if that's what was needed. Whereas a surgeon's only expected to be good at surgery. And so, yeah. There definitely is, you know, a, a role there. When I did my doctoral research on what are the issues pastors have and what causes those issues, the top three things I found out, one was isolation. Of course, that's been talked about a lot, and spoke about a lot, that it's ironic that, that pastors are, are people, people surrounded with people, yet there is an element of isolation. And what that really means is um, nobody really knows them at an in-depth level, especially in their brokenness. They may know them in some other ways, but in their brokenness, they may not be deeply known. Two was unrealistic expectations. That was the next most common issue I found playing into the struggles pastors have, which then comes, you know, what, what does that cause? It causes unrelenting stress meaning there's always these expectations of performance. And some of that comes from the pastor themselves. And some Mm -hmm. of it is external. The third thing, while I'm talking, just I'll throw it in. The third thing was um, not keeping boundaries, not protecting my own life, not protecting Mm -hmm. my marriage if I'm married, not protecting my family time, not protecting my time off. And so the third most common um, source of issue that causes issues for pastors was a lack of boundaries of maintaining ministry in its place and then my personal life in its place. And and of course, that's difficult because as we know, ministry is is more than a job for most folks. And in some ways it, it is, it's part of your identity. Yet, at the same time, what gets blurred is often serving God and ministry get equated. And those are, are in some ways two different things. Wow, that's good. Can you expound more on that on that last statement that you just said? Because I think that applies to pastors. That even applies to people who are heavily involved in their churches, serving on teams, whatever else, volunteering with a nonprofit. Uh, that last statement that you said about how we get uh, serving in a ministry and then our service to God to intertwine, or, or however you put it. Can you expl- expound on that more? Sure. In different angles, I could come from that. You know, we know the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind often the venue we pick for that if we're in ministry and i i have fallen into this danger as well you know 
is I do that all through my ministry and feel like it's a direct serving of God when really I'm serving the ministry. Now, are the two related? Sure, hopefully they are. Hopefully our ministry is something of, of serving God and his kingdom, yet they're not one and the same. Mm-hmm. And so what, what, and even over time, we can go down the slippery slope of serving God, serving the ministry ahead of God. And that's one of the warnings in my book is then we begin to put this value on success of the ministry and it has to be successful. We still rationalize it, spiritualize it as this is honoring God, but really it's become now a bit of an idol of making my ministry successful. And what do I need to do? And typically that means I need to work harder. And so the slippery slope, often well-intended, we all start out typically well-intended when we go into ministry, when we go to Bible college or however we got into ministry, I'm just going to love God and love people. Then we find a place to serve, and that place has a lot of expectations, a lot of demands, maybe already a dysfunctional workaholism that's you know part of the culture there, which is well-applauded in the Christian world. And so we give more and more to the ministry, but yet we continue to justify it that this is serving God. And so when folks come to Marvel Retreat and they're burned out, you know, one of the questions is, does God really call us to burn out? Does he really call us? Is not scripture at least imply that serving him should be life-giving, that, that we should be springs of living water overflowing? You know, is there not something in the Christian walk that should be life-giving, not life-taking in a sense, meaning I'm so depleted, I'm just not only done, and, and I'm sure you know stories, not only do they sometimes leave ministry, they leave Christianity, you know, they leave the church, at least, if not their faith, that I'm done, I'm done with the church, you know, and so the slippery slope is making more and more the ministry our God, and then the success of the ministry our goal, instead of loving God directly with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and what does that look like differently, and it looks like, hey, I can take my Sabbath, I have my quiet time with God. I make sure our relationship is good is a higher priority than getting ministry tasks done. But a lot of us wake up in the morning and our first goal is not connecting with God is what do I have to get done for ministry? I mean, I just had that question this morning. I wanted to take some time with God and then I'm like, oh, but I got all these to-dos to get done for Mm -hmm. Marble Retreat, you know? And then I'm torn just immediately. And I'm like, hold on, Mike. You know, you talk about this, you write about it. Here you are having the same battle first thing in the morning. Do I click off some of my to-dos because I got a little bit of time before the boys wake up? Or do I have some quiet time with God? And I was really tempted to click off some more to-dos for my job, for my ministry that I'm involved in. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's so good. And it reminds me of something that I was taught by one of my uh, spiritual mentors several years ago, which is that... uh, the same thing you're saying, but just in different words, he said that, you know, your, your calling is not the same thing as your job. Mm-hmm. And so learning how my calling to God is to God. And my calling is very personal. Uh, it, and it, it's, it's in him and following him. And throughout my life, following my calling uh, doesn't just mean what I'm doing in my job. Uh, for, you know, for me, I, my job, my main job is, is ministry. And so, that context for anyone who wasn't aware, but, uh, and so, but that, that applies to anyone else as well. Cause so often people get, get those two tied together. And then like, like you said, I think that leads to like, uh, turning the job into God and then turning, like you said, success or performance in that job, whether it's numbers on Sunday or baptisms, whatever else it turns those things 
into your righteousness uh, rather than receiving the righteousness of Christ and, and growing in that through uh, participation with him in the spirit. So excellent. You talk about in the book, did you have some, were you going to say something else? It might be where you're going, but I was just going to say in yeah, the go book, ahead. I make the point then you throw in your own personal brokenness. Maybe you have an area of brokenness in your own sense of adequacy, security, like likability, lovability. Uh, you know, am I, do people love me? Do they respect me? Do they believe in me? Am I secure? You throw in that and then ministry becomes this, um, this band-aid that we try to use to fix those inner places and it even ramps up mm. a little bit more meaning ministry is already prone to being something where we'll overwork because it's it's so much tied to our identity you know it's so easy to blur those lines then we throw in our own brokenness that i need to feel adequate and i feel adequate by performance and ministry is a great place to do that and and so part of my book is arguing you know, watch out for your own brokenness, because if it comes to, you know, we all desire to be successful, and I think that's fine, and I could, could even say it's kind of God-given to grow things, you know, um, yet, at the same time, if I have to be successful, then that's our own brokenness talking, and then we can mm -hmm. get in lots of, lots of trouble trying to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's continue on that theme of where our own brokenness comes in. The subtitle of your book is about the underlying issues that blow up in ministry. What do you mean by underlying issues that can lead to destroying a ministry, family, or whatever else? Yeah, there are issues uh, of our own kind of broken identities. You mentioned a few minutes ago about the righteousness of Christ being our righteousness, not earned righteousness. You know, I think pastors, again, are human. They are concerned with the symptom level, just like all of us. And so when they come even to us to Marble Retreat, I'm burned out, I'm tired, I'm lacking passion, I'm frustrated. Um, you know, I'm just feeling lots of symptoms and maybe even there's some behavioral symptoms. I'm medicating and I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing because of my pain underneath. So I just want it to stop. I just want the, the pain to stop. And they're not always aware of or have the, again, the right environment to dig deeper. Well, where is that coming from? And so typically we go down a level, okay, here's a learned response to ministry, you know, and I hit on the book in the book a lot on, on workaholism, perfectionism, just because I see it a lot. And so up here, pastor's exhausted. I'm just so exhausted and I'm so getting so frustrated. I, I begin to get frustrated with everybody around me. Anybody who wants another, you know, pound of flesh from me, I am beginning to react poorly because I have nothing left to give. And so that begins to bleed into family and marriage and whoever. And so then I go down a layer and often there's this very, there's a drivenness. There is a perfectionism of workaholism. Well, where did that come from? And often you go down a layer and it comes from maybe a, a wound, maybe learned behavior, maybe got out of boys earlier in life or performing, you know, mm. from a young age. Anyway, there's, there's the source of that way of responding to the pressures expectations of ministry well then what's driving that and, and at some point you get to the person's identity and meaning how do they see themselves and their identity worth value and, and as i think most of us would argue you know um, 
our true identity is we're children of God made in the image of God, redeemed through Christ, you know, kind of creation, fall, redemption. Um, but often, you know, there's some brokenness gets in there. A term we often use for that is shame. I do believe there's a healthy kind of shame, but there's an unhealthy shame. The unhealthy shame means I can't receive fully that I am loved, forgiven, redeemed, that there's still something wrong with me. And what we then try to do is feel better by ourselves, about ourselves in some way. Mm-hmm. And in a common Christian way, especially for those of us in leadership, is through performance. And so the book is getting, say, let's get down below the layers. Where is this all coming from within you? I mean, we all know the external pressures and those are true. They're real. There definitely needs to be compassion, understanding for your pastor and and the expectation and pressures that they are dealing with. Yet that's not the whole story. Also at play is the pastor's own brokenness. How come the pastor can't say no? I mean, boundaries are pretty simple. They're no and yes. I mean, but how come I can't say no and yes, you know, often because I feel guilt or I feel fear. Where's that coming from? Well, I'm fearful people won't like me if I say no. I'm fearful, you know, and there's all these reasons, but some of that comes from their own brokenness, you know, that that I can't say no and yes, that I become a people pleaser or or whatever it may be. So, so yeah. the book is getting down, ultimately, is there some identity issues that, that we have to bring back into our relationship with, with God through Christ for, for true deep healing, which is the irony of what I do is often we end up leading pastors to the same places where they lead others and do it so well. And pastors have done that for me in my life. And I end up leading them into their own broken places. You know, we just follow their brokenness and see where it takes us. Mm. So I'm sure it's one thing doing that as a professional counselor in a session with a pastor or leader, but it's another thing to have to write about that in a book form, two Mm -hmm. very different forms of conversation. And especially in a book form, uh, it's one way. Whereas in a counseling session, you're receiving feedback and conversation. So in the book, as you're trying to help the readers uh, get to those places of brokenness, how do you equip them to do that uh, on their own in a one-way conversation? So if someone's sitting here listening and, 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 and thinking to themselves, you know, that sounds great. I'd love to discover that place of brokenness and it, at least get down deeper. How do you help them to do that whenever they are on their own and not doing it through a conversation? Yeah, a few ways I'd answer that question. One is I do repeatedly in the book encourage you to talk to somebody. I think, you know, that there is definitely always a need to have somebody to speak into your life. You know, I think there's always a risk of a blind spot, you know, or an avoidance or saying the same message to yourself that you've said a thousand times to yourself when you need to hear something different or it's said in a different way. Yet I do give some ways to get the ball rolling. One is I give lots of stories of pastors, you know, who work through some things like this. And so hoping that, that a pastor would pick it up, you know, I really wanted the book to be readable. You know, some people might think, oh, it's a little light. And, and in some ways it is purposefully because I wanted it to be readable. I didn't want it to be he- a heavy book. And, and one of the reasons, ways I did that and, and our editor helped with that was um, through lots of stories. So I want people to read it and be like, that's me wow, you know, what's going on in this person in the story? I think that's going on with me. Wow, that, how did they know that? I think that I do that or whatever it may be. So lots of yeah. stories, you know, is always an easy way to draw us in because we can make the comparison. Yeah. Second, as I have, do have 
um, reflection questions at the end of each chapter. Ask yourself this, you know, I think ideally it'd be great to do that in community, even if that's just meeting with one other person, you know, in ministry, but ask yourself questions. And those are, are trying to be insight-oriented questions. And, and then a few places in the book, I give other kind of age-old ways to get into deeper. And one is the, the, the kind of, it's been termed different things, but the five whys. Why do I do this? Why do I always say yes when I don't want to say yes? Like that person just said, hey, can you do our wedding, you know, next month? I already got six weddings, you know, that I'm doing. Why did I say yes to that? And then you go to that why. Well, I don't really want to disappoint them. Well, why don't I want to disappoint them? You know, and you just keep going down. And sometimes you will find you can get to an answer. Now, sometimes you need somebody else because you land on your same kind of narrative that you've always landed on in your life, you know. So definitely I have some ways to begin the process in the book. Yet, I will say, you know, it says in the book, but at the end of the day, community is very helpful. And that's the, that's the challenge for pastors is where do I have true community so somebody can be very open and honest with me with, with what they're hearing and seeing in my life? Yeah. So whenever, after someone has discovered some brokenness and they've worked through, you know, whether it's the uh, tips that you give in the book or in community, what are some ways that they, uh, or, or what should they do if they recognize some of these underlying issues or things you've talked about in themselves? Uh, in other words, once you recognize that brokenness and you find it, what do you do then? Well, there's different, you know, paths, I think, to healing. You know, um, again, I'm very biased of, of community, you know, for, for until COVID, our main method of counseling at Marble Retreat was group counseling. And, and the reason, one of the reasons we did that, besides just its proven effectiveness to deal with difficult issues in life, you know, if you look at whether it's addiction or, or other difficult issues, group therapy comes out as, as mostly the most, you know, effective kind of treatment because I think God has made us to be relational beings. Mm. And so, you know, definitely I think it's valuable if you can get into a relationship with someone to help you with that issue. Now, I know a lot of pastors, you know, that's that's a struggle. I mean, where can I really be vulnerable? You know, I think in, in some ways, you know, sometimes pastors will hire even st- folks like myself, counselors, because it's a safe relationship. I mean, I've had pastors come in and they've asked me, you can't tell anybody about this, correct? And they're not even talking about breaking the law or doing something even immoral. They're just concerned if they tell me about how much they hate family so-and-so in their church, it's going to get back. And then they're going to be out their job, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a counselor. I'm sworn to secrecy. So, you know, I think one is, is finding, you know, that community where I can be vulnerable and in a sense, confess my shame, my brokenness, and have somebody who will show me grace, acceptance, and lead me the truth in that. The same thing I do for others. Again, that's to me, the irony of being a pastor is that pastors' roles in people's lives are very important. I mean, pastors were very important in my life as part of why I do this, you know, it's because I love what they do, yet they don't have somebody doing that for themselves. I mean, I, they don't have a pastor for the, for the pastor, so to speak. And then, you know, if you do land on, I'm a people pleaser, I, I feel, you know, inadequate, I, I always feel disrespected, whatever it may be, I don't feel secure, 
I'm searching for security and I do that through job performance. I'm, I'm fearful if I fail in some way, I'll get fired. You know, you get at some of those deep driving issues of fear of brokenness in my own identity. There definitely is a ton of research resources out there to deal with that. Meaning mm-hmm. you can, you can begin with, um, you know, just, just researching books on that exact issue, that flavor of shame, so to speak, if you do, identify it again my personal biases at the end of the day needs to be brought into community first community with with the trinity with god in some experiential way meaning how because pastors always have the right head knowledge typically meaning if they identify the lies so to speak they're believing they know instantly the truth but how come it's not sticking well experience experience typically got them into trouble now experience helps them get out, meaning mm. an experience of, of shame, brokenness, woundedness, sin was part of what got them into trouble. Now, how do I experience the truth of what I believe intellectually? And, and so I think there's lots of spiritual formation practices. I think that, again, there's lots of resources you can look up. But I also think that, uh, that often when a pastor deeply confesses or confesses their brokenness, their shame in a safe community, and they do receive grace, acceptance, and truth, something healing happens. And yet I know that's also the challenge of where do I find that? You know, where do I where do I get that? You know, that's one of the beautiful things we have seen at, at Marble Retreat. One reason we, we love the ministry there is seeing that happen over and over again, where a pastor comes in. And they often begin with, I've never said this out loud. I've never told anybody this. And then they'll go into something, whether whatever it may be in their own personal brokenness or whether it's a, a moral failure on their part or whatever it may be. And then the power to receive the healing that we're promised in scripture when we do confess to one another. Yeah. So if someone is looking for that kind of community that they can open up to, what would be the first steps that you would recommend to them for starting to find that kind of community where they can confess, where they can open up, be vulnerable? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, one way that the pastors have found it is um, through their own network of what other pastors do I know that I think maybe have that and how did they find it? You know, so I think, you know, calling reaching out to your own network to say, hey, you know, I, I understand you've been doing some work on your on yourself, you know, where have you found good community? So I think that's one area that, that you can find maybe a, a road to it's kind of like, you know, you, you ask your, your friends or people, you know, who's a good doctor kind of thing, mm-hmm. ask them, you know, where, where's a source of community, you know, there are some ready made communities out there, things like celebrate recovery and other things. Now, often the challenge, of course, for a pastor is that's in my town. If I go there, will I be seen? And is that really safe? And some pastors have chosen that and have been surprised. It's safer than they realized it was. It's not been a problem. Some pastors are still concerned about that and I understand it. So can I go to the next town and find that kind of ready-made safe community? Mm. I think, you know, another interesting way that I have heard stories about there's a pastor looking for a community, but I'm trapped within my ministry bubble. And, I'm, and I have concerns about getting too real with the people inside my ministry bubble. You know, as, as I'm, you may have heard, you know, the, I think it's Resilient Ministry book talks about the difference between allies and confidants for those of us in ministry. And allies are, 
are fighting the war with us, but they'll throw us under the bus for the war. So if they think that we are a liability, all of a sudden we thought they were friends. Now they're, they're not friends because they're more concerned about the war. So they're more concerned about the church. So they're more concerned about the ministry we're a part of than about us personally. Confidants are more concerned about us. And so trying to find a confidant, and one way that I actually have heard several pastors finding that, and this was even true for myself, was picking up a hobby, which often gets put, you know, to the side when we get in ministry, because everything is so important that we're doing that we put fun hobby to the side. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll tell, uh, tell a pastor, well, I'm not meeting anybody. I don't know where to meet anybody. I'm trapped in this little bubble that I'm in, in my community, in my church. I'm like, well, is there any hobbies that you like to do? And do those hobbies bring you into contact with folks, other folks? So whatever it may be from, you know, fishing to photography to whatever, you know, then within that, that hobby, you know, they take a class on it. They, they join a bunch of folks to go on a, this weekly hike that, that you can sign up for, whatever it may be, exert golfing, you know, whatever it may be. I begin to make friends. And those friends become true friends. They become people who care about me. They don't care that I'm a pastor. And then I can begin to share with them, you know. So that's not an overnight fix. But I've seen some pastors who are longing for community, safe community. They're a little concerned about making it within their ministry circle. Um, find it actually kind of in this roundabout way. So mm -hmm. to recap, one, you can ask other people, like, where could I find some safe community? And definitely pastors become parts of groups that meet a couple of times a year and, and maybe Skype or Zoom in or whatever other times of the year. Two, there are already made support groups out there that are designed to be safe places. Now you have to think that through, like, like something like a Celebrate Recovery. Is that really what I want to do or not? Three, can I just begin finding potential friends who then could end up becoming confidants, meaning people who just care about me, my heart and soul, and they're not caught up in how is the ministry doing? Because those people tend to be biased. And, you know, lots of pastors come to us and say, we thought they were friends until, until we changed the worship, until we, you know, made this decision, until this happened in ministry, then we found out they weren't friends. Mm. Well, they were friends in a sense, but yet they also had this other value and that was of the ministry and now you're messing with their perception of what's best for the ministry and they're going to justify throwing you under the bus you know for the ministry wow so as we get close to the end of our time what's the main thing that you hope that readers of the book or someone who's listened to this episode what do you think is what do you hope is the main thing that people take away well, I'm going to start in a negative. That tends to be, you know, my, my natural disposition. Um, you know, the negative is, you know, I'm concerned pastors are going to see this as, oh, great. Another thing to do on my list, deal with my own brokenness. You know, I've already got enough on my plate. And, and so I really want this to be a message of hope. You know, there's so many pastors that, that have gotten help that we see out there now flourishing and, the, and they're operating more out of a freedom and grace than they've ever felt before, that they were earning that through ministry. And when they realize I don't have to do that, there's this new life and passion that can come. Now there's still the battle of the slippery slope. Like even for myself, I know this stuff, I've lived this stuff, I've worked through my own stuff. 
yeah, I can wake up in the morning and begin the slippery slope all over again to being entrapped by performance and thinking I'll feel better the more things I check off my to-do list today, then I'll feel better if I connect with God, you know? And so there's always that slippery slope. So to try to summarize, I really just want pastors to know your brokenness is at play in how you do ministry. We all like to think I, I react out of faith and logic, but uh, no, we all react out of our brokenness to some degree. And mm. ministry will beat your brokenness like a drum if you're not aware of it. And Satan will get in the mix too. And so I see pastor after pastor who have just blown up their, their lives or ministry. And their big question is why? Yeah. Why did I do this? They never set out to do that. No pastor sets out to have an affair or to fall into abusing alcohol, whatever it may be, or just to burn out to the point of, I'm just done. I hate the church at this point. Um, and so really my message is there's hope and that, that the gospel is true for you as well. It, it will bring freedom to you, you know, but how you need to go into those broken places and bring them to the cross yourself. You can't vicariously do that by bringing others which always feels great. Like we're being healed ourselves when we bring somebody else to the cross. If, oh, I feel so good, you know? Well, there's good in that. I think there's love in that. There's a purity of serving in that. Yet there's difference. There's a difference of bringing your own brokenness to the cross, you know? And so, so again, to try to summarize, there's hope, there's healing. Take care of your brokenness before it takes care of you in a sense. Um, mm. And God has provided a way. Yeah. That's excellent. Well, once again, for those of you guys who are listening, the book is called Don't Blow Up Your Ministry by Michael McKenzie. I uh, definitely encourage you guys to go out and get it if you are, uh, if you if you listen to this and it sounds like something that you really resonated with would be helped by. Uh, even if you aren't in ministry, but you're listening to this and you love somebody who is, you love your pastor or you got a family member or somebody, buy it for them and give it to them. Just to let them know that uh, you love them, that you're there for them. Uh, Michael, do you have uh, any other ways that if, if people wanted to connect with you or follow more of your work, any other places you'd like to point people to other than the book? You know, of course, you can go to our website of the main ministry I serve, which is Marble Retreat, so marbleretreat.org. There is a page there, you know, of course, about the book, some, you know, kind of blog at once upon a time. I haven't put anything up real recently on there, but there's some, some blogs, you know, obviously if you're looking for the book, you can go to IVP press and, and I think it's on Amazon. It's not released until December the 14th, um, but you can pre-order it if you want. Um, but marbleretreat.org is, is, is again, the main place that I serve and communicate through. And, um, you know, so I think that's probably your best bet to go to. All right. Excellent. Well, I'll have the book uh, uh, whatever links are available for pre-order as well as Marvel Retreat, all linked in the show notes. So if you guys are looking for that, go to the show notes that are linked below in the YouTube description or on podcasts, and you'll be able to find the links to all that so that you can find the book and get connected with Michael's ministry. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time, Michael. I really enjoyed this. I, uh, I got a lot out of it. I, I hope that our listeners will as well. And that it leads to fewer ministries and families and uh, and, and everything else uh, not blowing up. Exactly. Right. That's so, uh, yeah. So, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Aaron. God bless. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast. 
please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, aaronchamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.